And he's going to share with you tonight, and that is our elder, uh, Russ Folkler. Russ Folkler, why don't you come forward? <laughs> you need a... You need a... I need, I need the, uh... When your senior pastor tells you you have to hold it all together, it's a little scary, but he's just talking about this. <laughs> Thankfully, I know the one who holds it all together, and you do too. <laughs> um, so I'm going to pray to him. We love you. We love you. We love you, Daddy. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. You're why we're here. You're why I'm here. And I ask that you will use this time to help us draw even closer to you, understand more about who you are and who we are with you. And I ask uh, that you translate anything that I'm not saying clearly into the language of the heart of each one who's hearing and the spirit of each one who's hearing. And I ask that you bless each one's spirit to rise up and receive what you want to give each one's human spirit. I ask this all in the name of my Savior and King, Jesus. Amen. And I want to thank my friends who are already praying for me back there, over there. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So how many of you got to go to at least part of the Danny Silk Keep Your Lug On conference? Awesome. Very, very good. As you may have noticed, we've been, we've been um, dwelling on that a bit because we really wanted to get in here, right? Um, so Brent did an amazing message, but also we had this um, amazing participation. Remember that about there, there are no victims in the kingdom? How many of you felt something shift when you crossed that line and said, I am no longer a victim. I am powerful. I see those hands. I've talked to some folks and it's, it, it, was, it, was, a mark, it was a demarcation point. Like the, you, we really crossed over. Many of us shifted because we were accepting the message and we were no longer, we were letting go of the role of, of playing victim and hoping that someone was going to feel sorry enough for us to, to take care of us. <laughs> I could tell you a story about that, but that would take too long in my own, my own life. Then, the next week, we had my sweetheart, Susan. And now you have me. <laughs> that's, that's a hard lineup to follow, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to see what happens. There we go. Keeping our love on, emotions and boundaries. There we go. So I had some questions. And these were some of my questions. And I thought they might be your questions too. So how do I keep my love on with people who are scaring me? <laughs> Has anyone wondered about that? <laughs> and how do I keep my love on with everyone? That's a lot of people. How many billion, six, almost seven billion people, right? That's a lot of people to keep my love on towards. How do I do that? Did you ever wonder about that? How do you keep your love on towards everyone? And how do I keep my love on without being used up and consumed by the needs of others? Ooh, yeah. I wondered about that one too. So Holy Spirit, help us. <laughs> I have some ideas, but may he fill in all the rest of the gaps and erase anything that doesn't make, you know, isn't the right thing, okay? Okay, so there we go. Last week, 
the last episode, we had getting free of Saul's armor. Yeah. And I have just a couple of uh, reminder slides from that because I know the person who did it. Okay. <laughs> Susan talked about two extremes of what she calls Saul's armor. In other words, uh, ways we try to protect ourselves that don't really fit us. One is we become hard-hearted. We're quick to reject. We look for rejection, and we get offended. I'll reject you before you reject me. That's, that's one way. And another one is we're overly comp- compliant and people-pleasing, afraid to be honest about our own needs and desires. The, the extreme of that is being codependent. I don't have any needs. We used to think that that was what Christians were supposed to be like. How many thought that was how you were supposed to be as a Christian once upon a time? I did. How many of you found out that doesn't really work? <laughs> I thought it was being so spiritual. And, but then, what, as Danny says, what happens is eventually we get bitter, don't we? Because it's... And, but he says, he said, you know, I'm going to meet all of your rich... You know, he's going to meet all of our needs through his riches and glory. But apparently we have to... Also, he says, you know, ask. If any of you have any needs, ask. Let him ask. So both, but both responses are based, those, those responses, those manifestations of Saul's armor are caused by fear and lack of love for ourselves and belief in, in who we are. And then I love pictures because they go right, right into a whole different part of who we are. Susan shared us. Oh, 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 go back, back. Okay, what would it look like if God was your armor? Remember that picture? Big dog, little baby, no worries. <laughs> oh, I want to say, oh, oh, oh. So this is only some of the highlights. Susan, Susan did a lot more, and I encourage you to listen to the podcast. It's not going. See if someone could, there we go, someone forwarded. Thank you very much. Uh, Susan mentioned that love is supernatural. We love others not by trying hard to be nice. That's not good either, is it? But by first receiving love from Papa for ourselves and living from that stream. And that's, that's what Brent talks about a lot, doesn't he? just receiving, being a loved son, being a loved daughter. So that was a, that was a good message last week. And we're just going to kind of go into a little deeper into uh, some of those issues that I mentioned earlier. So what do we do about the people who scare us still? We're doing better though, aren't we? I'm doing better. You're doing better than you used to? Yeah, because we ha- we're having more and more of God, right? We know more and more about who we are. May, could it be advanced one more since it's not going? Thank you. <laughs> what if people like the Wicked Witch of the West are talking to us? <laughs> Here's a quote from Danny Silk. When we are confronted with people who scare us, fear makes it difficult for us to remember that they are worthy of love. But Jesus, this goes, Danny goes on, Jesus never let fear overpower him. He constantly showed us who was worthy. Enemies, enemies. Children, sinners, women, extorters, prostitutes, soldiers, politicians, the sick and diseased, high class, low class, Religious, non-religious, everyone. And uh, that picture, I'm going to show you a larger version of it right here. It's Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. That that would have been a scary situation. There were a bunch of guys that were really angry and wanted to prove that Jesus was wrong. And 
and there was this, there was this poor woman who was uh, afraid for her life. That was a scary situation. But Jesus resp- responded, responded powerfully and beautifully, didn't he? He didn't give in to fear. Does the emotion of fear ever seem to take you over? It does me sometimes. And uh, I'll tell you a recent story. It's interesting how when you're preparing for a talk, God gives you uh, uh, opportunities. Or at least, I know God didn't create this opportunity, but he points us towards it and says, ah, look at that. See, see, look at that. So about a week ago, and by the way, I have Susan's permission to share the story. It's always good to ask your spouse's permission or whoever you're sharing about, right? About a little over a week ago, um, it was Monday morning, and I thought everything was fine. Susan came out to the kitchen, and her tone of voice let me know something was not right. And I quickly figured out she was upset with me. I didn't know why. And she's also upset because, she's not only upset with me, she's also upset because in the past when she's been upset, I've tried to run away. So she was upset about expecting my response to her being upset, if that makes any sense. <clears throat> so I, uh, I did my best not to run out of the house. <laughs> but I backed away and I sat, I sat in my safe chair next to the kitchen table. <clears throat> A little while later, Susan looked at me and said, you don't even know what I'm upset about, do you? I went. <laughs> but I was, I was scared. I did manage. I was so proud of myself. I did say, I'm sorry for whatever I did that hurt your heart. So I was, I was really happy. I got that far. That's, that's big for me that I even got that far. Um, but I was, I was caught in, in fear, and I was uh, a few days went by, and I was still kind of walking on eggshells, and um, and I was in this emotion, and I, my brain knew one thing, and my emotions knew something else. If, has anyone had that had that happen? Where I know what I'm supposed to be like, but I sure not feeling it here, and it's really hard for me to do much about it. Yeah. Why would that be so scary? I have a theory. Is this an existential threat? When people are upset with us and forcefully press us, implying you are not enough. In other words, it's the the underlying message, you're not enough. I think sometimes that taps into a deep sense of, oh, if I'm not enough, then maybe I don't have a right to be here. Maybe someone's going to decide to terminate me. I think not that we're thinking about that here, but we're thinking about that like danger, danger. My existence is being questioned. It might be threatened later on. Am I making sense? Yeah. And when we think our life is in danger, what, what comes up? Fear. And that gets right in touch with fight or flight. Run away or, or fight, or sometimes some, sometimes some of us just freeze. Which is kind of what I was doing with Susan on Monday morning. <laughs> it's good to laugh about it. <clears throat> I have some insights for you. It's okay. We're not going to give a full discussion about the parts of the brain and how they work. It's, there's not going to be a test. So, you know, all, existential, all ex- existential threats are lowering now. Okay. <laughs> I don't know whether you can see it or not, but there's a red blob kind of in the lower. It's the amygdala. Yes, the amygdala. 
Research indicates that the amygdala, amygdala quickly interprets whether a situation or person is good, bad, or scary. And then this is communicated to the next level up, the yellow thing, the cingulate cortex, which is where a ring of emotions are. And if the signal is scary, then signals are already also sent to our adrenal glands for the release of epinephrine, norepinephrine. In other words, the things that kind of get us ready to fight or run away. And that happens really fast, which is why things get overridden. Even though we know better here, if, if that starts triggering, if our brain has decided this is a threat, we, we get ready, don't we? So how did Jesus do it? You ever wondered about that? And since he's inside of us, he's, he's starting to get better, isn't it? But, but um, I'm going to just tell, share just a little bit about something called the hierarchical brain. Now, this, this is based upon the research of, a, of Dr. Alan Shore, and not all the brain researchers agree with this. So this is just one way of understanding things that I think is helpful. <clears throat> the, the right side of our brain is where all these, it's kind of our emotional brain, if you will. And that's what happens when we are under stress. The left side, the cognitive, logical side, uh, sh shifts most of the control over to the right side of our brain. Which is why sometimes I know better than that, but I'm doing this instead. I'm just sharing this with you so you can kind of help understand yourself. The most primitive, the most basic part of our brain is level one. You can see the green number one, which is mostly in the thalamus, but also the, the, uh, some other, the limbic system, they call it. Our personal reality and attachment, remember, say that word attachment, attachment are created on, on this ground floor. Our brains pick who and what is important to us through these structures. And one part is also the nu nucleus accumbens is our pleasure center and our pain center. The, the attachment level is sometimes called the deep limbic system and lights up when we want to bond to someone else. So this is the important part. We know the kingdom is a relational kingdom, right? And that, that the, it's also the family. And, and actually, as little babies, I've talked about this before, we are wired to look for somebody to attach to, somebody who is happy to see us. Anyone been around little babies? Once, once they can actually focus, which takes a while, it takes for, for the, the um, things to myelinate, they start looking for someone who's happy to see them. And they, probably their mom, they just lock eye to eye, and they just, they just stare until they look away. But that's because they couldn't handle anymore. They're overwhelmed, and they're going to look back again. And mothers and babies can spend hours and hours doing that, ultimately. And that is, that is, that is at this attachment level. And it also actually then affects the second level as far as the baby's brain starts mirroring the emotions of the mother. It's really fascinating stuff. <clears throat> actually, level three. Uh, marrying the, level, the mother. So, what does this all mean? Um, hmm, should I talk about level? Level four is where we have a sense of who I am, what, what I'm like. Am I acting like I'm, I am? It's kind of a check-in, like, am I acting like who I am? It's kind of an identity, identity um, center. And when we're all working very well, all of those levels work together, and we are acting like ourselves all the time because level, our, the level four is, is online. If we're under a lot of stress, we may may back down to level two, you know, fight or flight, and nothing else is, nothing else is functioning. So things kind of shut down in reverse order. The highest level, if it's under too much stress and it doesn't know how to handle it, we'll, we'll, we'll send things down one more level until, until you're down to fight or flight. Am I making sense? And so this is, this is important. You're going, why is this important? This is important because sometimes people are under stress and they don't act like themselves.
And um, as a, in, in, our, in our history as, as a church, oftentimes we have, we, have, um, we have thought that if you just get enough data, if you just train your left brain enough with enough propositional truth, then you should be functioning fine when the stress comes. But it doesn't really work that way, as you can see. The one thing that helps us remain ourselves when we're under stress is if we have strong attachments. Did Jesus have a strong attachment? With the Father. He had a very strong attachment. And as you can see, that, that's an even more basic thing than the, than the fight or flight, isn't it? So we don't get through, we don't, we don't make it through, and I'll be talking about this a little more. There's a few more slides about it. We don't get through life well under stress just by having information here. It's by attaching deeply and strongly to, to a stable person who, who we, get, we can stay connected to even when we're going through hard things. And thankfully, thankfully, Papa God is there all the time, isn't he? No matter, no matter whether we're in the deepest dungeon, he's still there with us. Forward. There we go. Okay. I was just, this is kind of recapping what I said before. The brain is not configured in a way that makes obedience through logical, language based propositions possible during stress, distress, and suffering. In other words, all that stuff we stored up in the logic here isn't helping us when we're under stress. Have you ever found that to be true for you? Has it ever shocked you? Like, why is this happening this way? I know better. It just went off. Something about me just went offline. The only way we can avoid sin, this is a quote from Jim Wilder, which means missing the mark. We can avoid missing the mark while using a human brain, which is the one I've got, is to learn to synchronize with God while we're suffering. In other words, staying attached and connecting and synchronizing with him while we are suffering. And joy makes this possible. In other words, the attachment that we have with God, attachments we have with anybody, the, the deepest attachments are through shared joy. Isn't that good? It's not... So in other words, preparing for distressful situations is not about imagining distressful situations and picturing them and future tripping as, uh, as William Paul Young said, right? He said, that when I realized when I stopped future tripping, when I stopped just imagining what the bad things that could happen and prepared for them and catastrophized, when I stopped doing that, that was when joy came and spent the night. In fact, joy just stayed, he said with, to us. Remember that? This is totally... You see how this is related? Yeah. And that's why... And, and that synchronizing happens when we worship. Did you know that? When we worship we are, and we connect our hearts and our spirits with God and we, we, we are receiving, we are connecting, we are synchronizing with Him. And there's other ways that happens too. So this is Jim Wild, James Wilder again. If the emotional control center of the brain, in other words, remember that picture of those four different levels, has the last word. In other words, it decides what's going to happen and takes over when hard times and strong feelings come. Then a spiritual life that changes what we do in the hard times must be learned in the presence of our emotions. In other words, we're not going to learn how to do that separate from our living in our emotions. And it will not be helped, that spiritual life will not be helped by banishing our emotions. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I grew up basically learning that emotions were suspect, bad, better to live without them. Anyone else get that message? <laughs> if you're old enough, thankfully they're not, do they're not doing that so much these days, thankfully. Thankfully. 
but I got a good dose of it. And uh, Yvonne Boitano, would you mind coming up? Woo! Come on up. Thank you, Yvonne. So Yvonne has a story. And this is a story about learning how to not reject her emotions and rejecting uh, a part of her heart that was trying to talk to her, but learning what would happen when she actually made a shift. Um, Actually, it was kind of funny because it was coming down these steps when Leif was speaking, and it was like an audible voice that said, what are you doing? Nobody wants you here. Everybody doesn't like you. I mean, it was just, it was like, it was like an audible voice. And I had just been spending the last few weeks on rejection and doing all these studies. And it's like, get behind me, Satan. I reject you. I rebuke you. I mean, I did my religious functional self, just came in right there and took care of it. And then I said, hmm, this isn't me. It must be somebody else. So then all of a sudden I started praying for everybody else that had rejection issues. Okay, that's what I was trained to do. And I was sharing that with somebody a couple days later, and they said, that sounds like a part of you. And I said, no. And it was like, absolutely not. Okay, Holy Spirit, is that a part of you? And it was like, yes. And it was this little, um, it's like a ghost pirate ship. You know how there's like the material is all worn, and it's holy and everything, and then it's blowing in the wind. And she is screaming, why do you keep rejecting me? And it was like, what? I mean, seriously, I would commit myself if you heard this conversation, if I didn't have all the heart sync Sozo training that I've had. And so, I mean, it was just like, okay. And, I, and so it was like, because I see no good in you. I mean, and there was such a war that was going on inside of me. And the Holy Spirit came in and said, Yvonne, cool it. You know, and I'm just like going, I see no good for her. I see absolutely no good whatsoever. And it was just kind of like, what good does rejection do? And she started crying and it was like, where can you go to be safe? And she went right here. I mean, I, I just, I'm visual. I just saw her go right there. And she just said, she said, you're always rebuking me. You're, you've gone to deliverance. You've gone through prayer meetings. You've done all this stuff. And it's like, why do you want to get rid of me? And it was like, because you've done no good for me. And it took a long time before functional self could get a chill and really ask the Holy Spirit, show me, show me the good. And he showed me that she would wrap herself around me. And she's done it for so long that she was so threadbare. And she said, I protect you. And I said, what do you protect me from? And she said, all the people that hurt you. And I said, but then nobody can get in. And she goes, but the only people you know are the people that hurt you. And it was like, wow. And so every time she w- the Holy Spirit would reveal a lie, she would get substance. And she became like this little person. Every time it was like, no, it's, that's not true. That's a lie. Jesus loves me. Oh, I mean, it was kind of like the, 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 the sheet would just kind of come in and, and, and it would be no more see-through and it would have no more holes in it. And each one of those holes, and even when Russ came over, I, I share this with one person, but when I was coming over the hill and Russ asked me to do this, it was like, Lord, I haven't even thought about that in so long. And I said, and it's really funny because she still wants to stay right there. And I've been, she's changed her name at one of the Winds of Change thing to acceptance. And she is now a solid person, but she still hides. And I have a lot of very passive aggressive people. And so I know how to fight or flight. I know how to freeze because that's kind of really effective sometimes when somebody's screaming at you. And I know, I mean, it's kind of like, I know how to do all of those things really good, but sometimes learning how to not do those things is really hard. But coming over the hill, I really saw that there's another big thing. And it was kind of like, I was brought up that if I was not, if I was not doing, if I was not any earthly good whatsoever, that my dad, I stopped my dad from shooting my brother because he was no earthly good. And so it was like all my life I have tried to reject this part that's going, I have done nothing but protect you and you've done nothing but scream at me and tell me that I can't be there. And I know I still need some work to, to become fully, but I'm like that heart sink thing, we reject that part that, that feels lonely because we're told it's not okay to be lonely and we're told a lot of times it's not okay to feel lustful or, or those things. Those are all God-given things that he has put inside of us that he wants us to 
accept and, and allow to be how he created us to be. Usually we take it way over here or we sin in it here or we do this. So we try to reject the whole ball of wax and saying, God, you made me a human being. How do you want these parts of me to function? There are certain people that we need to reject because they're not healthy people. But we don't reject everybody because we're afraid we're going to get hurt. So that's some of the things that I think Russ is teaching. And, and allow yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, is this a part of me that's been keeping me safe? Is this a part of me that I've created to have to survive through some of the life that I've survived through? And if it is, then ask the Holy Spirit how to bring you into the oneness that he's calling you to become. Wow. Thank you, Yvonne. That was, that was brave. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, didn't mean it this way, but that, that's also actually a great um, encouragement for going to Susan's Sozo Heart Sing training. There's a core part of our, de- or of our being, we've learned, that is invested in trying to keep us from getting hurt more. We sometimes call that that core part of our identity our protector. But now she's called acceptance for you, which is awesome because because, uh, her role is now working with Jesus and not just by herself or just by himself. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really powerful, isn't it? So we spend so much time shutting down and rejecting our internal dialogue when sometimes if we just turned around and started even loving that aspect of ourselves, things would open up, especially inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and bring his truth. Here we go. So our goal in keeping our love on is to somehow stay connected even when we're upset. And someone I know who does that better than anyone else actually is Brent Locker. You're amazing, Brent. And I have learned, my emotions have learned watching you. Yeah. <clears throat> so if, if we st- stayed connected while upset, then we would not abandon each other or miss chances to be together just because we were upset. Not because we eliminated the emotions, but because we formed relationships based on love that is stronger than our fear of pain. In other words, we've had a tap, we make, we connect, we attach to each other in healthy ways. And I'm hoping that is happening in some of your home groups. Obviously, there's wisdom about how deeply to attach and you know, there's, there's, you don't, you don't want to go beyond what's appropriate. But I'm hoping there's an appropriate level of connection where you're starting to feel safe to be with people even when you're not at your best, and feel accepted, and feel connected, and actually in the presence of others. When we're upset and we're around other people and they synchronize with us, we can actually move back into joy by being around them. And connecting with them. Has you, have you ever, anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, yeah. It's a very powerful thing, isn't it? Susan shared a story a while ago when she was a little girl and she went over to her friend's house and um, the mother was telling her son about his colors and Susan, little Susan got upset because she thought that implied that the mother thought she didn't know her colors and she got so upset that she... You hear this? Remember the story? She threw herself backwards, you know, crashed on the ground. And to her surprise, the mother just calmly explained, no, I was just explaining it to, to Kenny because he doesn't know his colors yet. And instead of getting angry, the mother just was calm. And that was such a gift to Susan. And she was able to now allow herself to be calm as well because the mom was not amplifying the fear, was not amplifying you know, shame or disgust or anything else, but was just saying, was just being quiet and peaceful. So being quiet and peaceful for others and connecting with them can actually help them return back to to peace and joy. 
Pretty cool stuff, huh? And there's a scripture too. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's important to come together, isn't it? We would learn to feel strongly, yet stay together and give life. This kind of face-to-face relationship when we are upset is just what is needed to train young or poorly developed control center. In other words, if you're young or you haven't learned how to do this, how to, how to regulate your emotions, to handle distress. And that would be a spiritual life that would change character. So... Hope that was helpful, interesting, encouraging. We're now going to move on to the second question. How do I keep my love on with everybody, (laughs) with everyone? There's a lot of them. This is my high-tech graphic coming up. (laughs) I... So... I got a piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote that, and then I took a picture of it. Bam! <laughs> it's another Danny Silk um, diagram, right? If you know, you're in the middle, that's you're me. Well, you're you, but... Um, <laughs> um, and then there's all these people, and out there somewhere is Charlie Sheen and Al-Qaeda, although I didn't... I didn't spell Al-Qaeda right, so don't be upset, Al-Qaeda. Um, please, please, meant no disrespect. But if, if they can, all, all those folks can look like, um, you know, I had, they, I had equal access. You know, I'm e- equally, you know, beholden to each one of them, which would drive you crazy. And sometimes I think we felt like the Christian life is like that. Like, we just have to, we just have to give everybody access and love everybody simultaneously. Yeah, and that's scary too, isn't it? (laughs) So how much access does everybody have? There we go. Okay, repeat after me. Not everyone can have the same access to me. Sigh. (laughs) so there's me and the closest one to me who should be Jesus should be God Holy Spirit and then if I'm married or or have a really close best friend that would be the next circle out and then uh, family or other close friends you know there's just different circles or Wavy things. They're not exactly circles. <laughs> you don't have to have circles if you don't want to. <laughs> you can have closed loops of whatever shape. <clears throat> so that's first, right? Not everybody has the same access. Love everybody, keep your love on, but not everybody has the same access. Oops, back up. Uh, come on. Oops, what happened? Did, it dis- did, a, did the slide disappear? Oh, wing it. All right, I will wing it. Oh, wait. Um, all right, I will wing it. <clears throat> That's a good answer, but since... <clears throat> Something happened to some of my slides. Uh, we can focus our love on one, the one person God puts in front of us. Right? Heidi Baker says that, doesn't she? Love the one. And then you get to love the other one, and the next one, and the next one. We could do that, can't we? Just not everybody all at the same time. 
we can love and pray for the ones the Holy Spirit brings to our hearts and minds. Uh, I remember years ago, Lonnie Longley felt the Holy Spirit prompt her to start praying for Michelle Obama, even, even, even at the beginning of the pre first presidential um, campaign. Now, if Lonnie had decided that uh, all Democrats are bad and, and that, that uh, et cetera, et cetera, then she wouldn't have been able to hear the Holy Spirit say, please pray for Michelle Obama. So part of keeping our love on is not deciding who's worthy of love and who isn't. I know for some of us, we've just lived our whole life that way. You know, those people are bad, those people are good, those people I'm not so sure about. And anytime we just, you know, put people in a category and, and really... Uh, allow us allow ourselves to get into deep rejection, then it's going to be pretty hard when Holy Spirit said, "Hey, would you pray for my son or my daughter whom I love? Would you would you partner with me?" So part of keeping our love on is actually inviting the Holy Spirit to come and do some work in our heart about our judgments, our condemnation, our rejections that might be getting in the way of really flowing with what His heart is. I remember being prompted by a dream to start praying for uh, Hillary Clinton around the time of the Lewinsky scandals. You remember that? Yeah. And I didn't really have any particular identification or connection with, with Mrs. Clinton, but that was God's heart. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And another way I think that we can keep our love on is actually by uh, some, sometimes when we come into a room, we can, we can allow our spirit to reach out and touch people and allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us to reach a larger group of people. Has anyone ever experienced that where you just came in and you felt God's love flow out from you? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, so... Even right now, I just encourage you just to release your spirit to the people all around you. To just release your spirit to let the love of God flow out through your spirit to the people wow, around you. Wow. For some of you, just get, if you just need to receive, just receive. If you're not, but for a minute, I just felt a lot released. Wow. <laughs> wow, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you for pouring out. Wow. I believe we're coming to a time where the Holy Spirit is going to ask you to do that. In fact, just do it any time you feel the least prompting. And there will be times when you walk into rooms, schools, businesses, assemblies, and people will be overcome with the love of the Father for them. It's already starting to happen. Yeah, so that's another way we can love, we can keep our love on towards everyone. Our spirit and the Holy Spirit are much less limited than just within our body. So the third question is, again, missing the slide for that. Uh, how do I keep my love on without being used up and consumed by others? Here's a quote from Danny. This, I'm, a lot of this is from this book here, Keep Your Love On. Very good book. Here's what Danny says. Value your life as God does. Do whatever you need to do so you can receive his love for you. Take care of yourself. The more you receive his love, the more you will learn 
to value your life as he does. The process of receiving God's value for your life is what anchors you in setting healthy boundaries. I'll repeat that last sentence. The process of receiving God's value for your life is what anchors you in setting healthy boundaries. Am I, is, that, is that making sense to you? Yeah. And, I, and it also actually would help that situation when a scary person comes in and, and is giving you the message that you're not enough. Right? If you know in here that you're valued, in here, which is what, what, uh, which, which is what Brent has been helping and, and so many other folks who have been speaking and ministering have been helping us understand. If we, as we get it more here, then we're not, we're not going to be tempted to believe the message we're not enough. And so we're not going to be scared. Okay, now we'll go on to the next one. Yeah, there we go. Tending our own garden means that we have value to offer to our king and to others. And here's another, here's a passage from Daniel. It'll be a bit, so, but enjoy the picture while I'm doing this. After God created the world, he planted a garden and put Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it, Adam and Eve. This is a picture of our lives. God has given all of us a garden to tend. He plants trees in it, sends the sun and rain to make them grow. But we are the ones who have a responsibility to care for the trees and the right to enjoy their fruit. No one else has this responsibility. Only by being diligent in managing what is ours will we reap a harvest that will nourish us and give us something good to offer to others. Self-protection is not a good motivation for taking care of yourself. Self-protection is not a really good motivation and will, will create problems in your relationships. But you will create just as many problems if you don't tend to your garden. You're going to have to get food from somewhere, and it will have to be someone else's food. This is metaphorical, of course. Not taking care of yourself actually puts you in the powerless position of trying to get other people to meet your needs without being able to offer anything in return. This is a setup for an unhealthy, selfish relationship. Good stuff, huh? If you truly want to be loving and unselfish, you will want to take the time and effort to get your garden producing the best fruit possible so you can offer something valuable to others. You will invest in learning all there is to know about the garden God has given you. From your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritually, spiritual health to your education, talents, gifts, callings, finances, relationships, and more, and how to make it all flourish. We got a taste of this when we listened to Stephen De Silva, didn't we? He was talking about stewarding also, wasn't he? Taking care of those things. And as you share your life with others, you will be doing what you need to do to protect and sustain your garden's productivity so your health and the health of your relationships are not threatened. So I bless all y'all's garden. On the topic of gardens, we were in a, uh, a married couple's home group when we were going through the Danny Silk Defining the Relationship DVDs. And we were just praying for each other afterwards. We were in, uh, we were in the Louts house, actually. And Susan got this revelation. She had already experienced Jesus walking in the garden of her heart. How many of you have had that happen? The garden of your heart. And she, and she said, oh, there's a garden of our marriage that Jesus walks into. Yeah. 
that's a side sidebar, but I think it's real it's really cool to understand how how Jesus sees us, that he enjoys coming into the garden of our heart and being with us, and he also somehow dwells if we're married in in the marriage too. It's a mystery. But I think that's really cool. There we go. How do I respond to consumers? Okay, everyone want to say it? Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what alternate universe you just entered, this is Finding Nemo, <laughs> the movie. <laughs> so obviously if the consumers are you know, out there, that's not a big deal. But what do we do if the consumers are closer in? They're, they have more access to us. That's where the rubber really meets the road, doesn't it? It's not so hard if they're... If they're out there and I don't, I just decide not to keep on answering their phone calls because it's got, it's an asymmetric relationship. But what do I do if it's somebody closer? What happens, this is, this is again from Danny Silk. What happens when we wind up with a coworker, family member, spouse, or best friend who decides to start acting like a consumer? Mine, mine, mine. As we saw in the last chapter, these people get to demand more from us. In other words, people closer in do get to demand more from us because of the access we have given them. They are in the inner circles of intimacy. If they start pulling on our connection to meet their needs and we don't ever pull back by setting a boundary or asking them to meet our needs in return. So there's two things, setting boundaries and also asking for our needs to be met as well. If we don't do that, then we are going to be dragging on the ground pretty quickly. By dragging on the ground, I mean depleted. Mm. <laughs> I'm being consumed. Or as the Wicked Witch would say, I'm melting. Oh. <laughs> My weird sense of humor is coming out. Now we go to the next slide. There we go. The God spot. There again, my high-tech graphics. You like that? <clears throat> the closer a relationship is to our God spot, the greater the chance that the relationship could compete with God for, as our top priority. It all depends on whether you decide to listen to the fear of man. If the needs and wishes of your spouse, kids, or best friends start to gain a greater hold on your heart's affections and begin to define your priorities and choices, then you betray your allegiance to God. His priorities alone must define your life and choices, not the needs and choices of people, even the people you care about the most. Wow, that's pretty strong. What that really means to me is that Papa has our best at heart. Daddy has our best at heart. And he, he will help us. He, he also loves our spouse. He loves our best friends. He loves, he loves our kids more than we do. So it's not a question of love. If we love the Lord our God first, however, then he will help us navigate how we live our life, what needs we give priority to and which ones we don't, how we navigate things. Without that, we're always going to be in danger of, of entering into a codependency of some kind or another, aren't we? Papa, the antidote to codependency. It's important that we learn to hear his voice, isn't it? And know his voice versus the internal voices. Similarly, you must be careful about demanding or letting others put you in their God spot. 
and take over defining their priorities and boundaries. Has anyone had that happen to you? Or someone wanted you to be Savior, God to them? You can encourage, invite, support, and enjoy others as they take responsibility to cultivate their gardens. And value the life God has given them. But you must never take over that responsibility, the God responsibility. Respecting the line between your life and the lives of others communicates love to them. You are saying you get to be a whole person in this relationship. I'm not going to supply the God part for you. You get to be whole. You get to go to God yourself and receive what only he can give you, what only he can be for you. So all of this goes back to deeply attaching to God, doesn't it? This all works much better as we do that. And that's what we're all after as, as, a, as a fellowship here, aren't we? That's what we're, go, we're going after in Winds of Change, heart revival, giving God access to our heart, connecting and attaching and learning how to flow with his spirit, understanding more and more about who he is, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and what, what it's like to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's what we're after. We'll see a little more about attaching. It's through mutual joy with him, a, a sharing of joy. It's through exchanges of love and affection, face to face. It's through experiencing a quieting with him. Uh, the brain researchers have found that Sharing joy, like babies being glad, being with someone who's happy to be with them, and that eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, joy-to-joy circuit. After a while, there actually needs to be a time of quieting as well. The baby and the mother, or the both quiet together. And that is actually where, where we also grow in capacity, when we learn how to quiet ourselves with somebody, when we learn how to quiet ourselves with Papa. And there's a scripture for that, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord Yahweh, your God, in your midst, the, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Singing is a beautiful way of synchronizing inside and also synchronizing with other people. Here's a final quote to wrap things up from Danny. Here we go. This is what God's love does. It casts out fear and destroys every dividing wall created by fear. It heals all disconnection between God and his children, between his sons and daughters. And Danny also talked about the truth that we have an inexhaustible flow of love from Papa. His love is inexhaustible. And, and we get to learn and grow in allowing his love to flow in us and experience it for ourselves and then to flow through us to others. So I bless your spirits to be supernatural lovers, to receive Papa's love, to be in love with Jesus, to be led by the Holy Spirit, and to live as powerful, loving people, full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of joy, full of what this hungry, desperate world needs. Thank you. Amen. Is there anything else? No? Okay. Well, we all already prayed for healing for y'all. Um, any other people just suddenly realized you were healed? Anyone else? Or just or realized since, since sitting down that, that you've been healed or, 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 or healed a great deal? 
We're going to keep going after that. Thank you for, for going after it with us. And I bless you not to feel disappointed, but to, to know that each time we, we open our hearts, he sees and he's responding. Yeah. Yeah, this takes courage. We're, we're pulling for each other, aren't we? And we know he's, he's pulling for us even more. Um, so I just encourage you to enjoy each other uh, and, and pray for each other. Uh, thank you, ministry team, for ministering earlier. I'll, I think it, you get to just enjoy uh, being, being you right now, ministry team. And I just release you to get your kids and fellowship. Amen.